0: This is Macro Monkeys, where macroeconomic analysis meets the markets through the eyes of retail investor monkeys. Content provided is solely for informational and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendations of any kind for any security, futures contract, transaction, or investment strategy. Trading securities can involve high risk and the loss of any funds invested, Please consult a licensed professional for any specific investment advice.
1: Hopefully you had a good uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, I did. Thank you. Hopefully you did also. I did. The turkey was stuffed with all sorts of uh, lofty expectations for a Fed pivot. And I have a feeling that I'm going to get gravy all over my face by the end of this thing.
0: You know, I look forward to these conversations each week just just for your analogies. <laughs> yes, well,
1: gravy and indigestion kind of leads to one sort of uh, outflow. That's uh, not mutual fund outflows, which, by the way, <laughs> remain at a high. That that to me, of all of the things we look at, double A that tells me. Listen, I don't think it's tomorrow, but that we're a few months away from a sustained like trend, bull trend. Is the the amount of mutual fund outflows now? Mom and Pop are liquidating their retirement in fear at a rapid level, and uh, the big money on Wall Street is getting ready to take their money.
0: yeah and, I mean uh, as, as we've ask. seen as we've seen time and time again when there's mutual consensus uh, uh, among the you know uninformed for lack of a better term that that signals a change.
1: That's right, yeah. That's right. I, what I get the sense is that the market is certainly not optimistic, but that the path out of this thing is at least kind of understood. Uh, listen, I think that we're, we, we've we all come to the realization that we're stuck between quantitative easing and Great Depression, the two levers, right? Mm-hmm. We're either going to um, be in a deflationary downward spiral because you can't live off of debt until we inflate our way out of that uh, – whatever the issue is that's wrong for that particular cycle. And then eventually one time it's not going to work. And then we'll probably have the, uh, the death spiral. Yeah. But I, I'm hoping not in our lifetime or at least not in our foreseeable future because the U.S. government depends on living off of uh, debt and can, no, can barely afford the debt service. Right. Because operating budgets get impacted. The Republicans are lining up and getting ready to, you know, using their their House majority. They're going to make life very difficult for the Democrats using you know, some of the leverage tools we've talked about, like, for example, giving everyone a hard time when it comes time to move the debt ceiling, which, of course, is bullshit because the money is already spoken for. Right. Last year's spending is what's going into the debt ceiling raises. Right. but uh, Right. That's going to be the, the Washington source of instability coming up, and that will probably affect the markets in some major way. But I sense that there's too many boomers still retiring or in the younger end of their retirement. The government's got to prop this thing
0: up for a little while longer. So
1: that's my optimistic. That, that's the optimistic <laughs> take.
0: <laughs> that's that's sunshine. You know, it's funny you mentioned Fed pivot. I wanted to to start there, um, if we could just for spend a few minutes talking about. Um, interest rates, and then maybe jump a little bit into uh, my wheelhouse, which is uh, residential real estate. So I, I don't know if you noticed or not, um, the 10-year has has retreated a, a fair amount, trading about 3.6, 3.7. Quite a bit. Uh, um, but also there's some technical indicators there, um, uh, at least on the daily charts, that suggest you know, the give back may be coming to an end and, and, and in particular, something we both watch is the market forecast tool, which is a TD Ameritrade uh, Ameritrade tool. That's right which currently gonna, has an we'll, oversold we'll cluster. That yeah, it has oversold on. clusters, which um, which really isn't super important um right now other than just to know that um w- the TNX or the 10-year is, is is showing oversold conditions, which means that it, it probably doesn't have much to give back to the downside, which that, of course, is is, is fueling um, a little bit of rally in uh, mortgage rates, rally meaning lower rates, I guess I should say. Um, and, and so now there's, I've noticed a little bit of a debate on social channels about, well, is, is housing going to come back right away? And and you know, are the buyers going to flood back in if we get rates to 5%? <clears throat> And and I'm just curious, and I have I have opinion on it. it. It 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 seems that it's premature to me, um, to suggest that you know if a mortgage rate gets down to five percent, that buyers going to come back in, uh, because affordability still isn't there. I mean, you know, rates may be off their highs, but prices aren't too far off their highs in most places. I know it's very very specific to to geography, but here in Denver. Prices aren't down that much, and if rates are two percent higher, the affordability factor is still a problem.
1: Right, um, and, and let's face it: bonds only just peaked maybe sixty days ago. Meaning the um, I don't mean uh, what I what I'm such so, what I mean to say is the short end of the curve just re- really entered kind of a mini rotation, so to speak. And the uh, you know rates have pulled back, and some what I'm seeing actually is more the long end of the curve at least in the very short term, rotating into favor a hair, you know, like the 20-year uh, yeah. Treasury. But but I think, you know, bonds, after just getting beaten, are ready to rally a little bit, meaning interest rates we're near the, at least from a market perspective, uh, near the end. Uh, a lot of stuff I think the Fed is planning to do is baked in. I think the bond market's been on this way more precisely than the uh, stock market.
0: Which is usually how that unfolds. Right. yeah. Uh, and to that point, talking about the curve of the whole thing is inverted from, from the top to the bottom of the 10 year. I don't know if it's still inverted as of um, this week, I kind of checked out a little bit for the holiday week, but um, even, even the fed funds rate was inverted against the 10 year, which that doesn't happen very often. That's the shortest term rate, um, you know, delivering more returns than, than a 10 year treasury. So uh, that tells me, you know, that there's the odds of recession, I think are quite high. Right. and, That that's also going to spill over into the housing market more. Would you agree with that?
1: I would say the Fed has, they've put out a press release. They've ran a TV campaign. They've put billboards up. Uncle Jerome, and and I think Uncle Jerome is going to spatula the market's fanny again around the next FOMC meeting. And he's already sent his talking head lieutenants out to do the same. We'll get more, you know, this coming week. But not only are we not done, but uh, we're going to keep that. Terminal rate, which is that kind of the peak in the rate Mm -hmm. hike cycle, we're going to keep that in place longer than you can imagine, because it was, in fact, until we see a recession in home prices, until we see a few million people lose their jobs, we ain't going nowhere. You know, that is the message. Oh, and I think I've been reading, you know, the Fed whisperer talking about the Fed accelerating
0: quantitative tightening in the back half of this quarter. So, but, but see, so I agree with what you just said, but that, that's quite a balancing act if, if the Fed needs to hold up the market for retirees, as we just talked about, but also wants to generate higher unemployment, correct housing a little bit. Like that, that's a hell of a balancing act to do both of those things.
1: Oh, I think double A that the, the, uh, Uncle Jerome is thinking in terms of the, um, you know, staving off the Great Recession. A lot deeper into this correction. He's not—he's uh, not thinking about, worried about. He's not worried about 401ks in the stock market right now. He's made that pretty clear. The stock market needs to go down. So I—I I guess I think it's time horizon that yeah. uh, you know the earliest that the Fed will, um, you know, stop raising. I think the absolute earliest, even with inflation data. I mean, inflation basically peaked in June, right? And uh, but inflation data is probably going to come in. Maybe maybe it'll be flat I and mean, would be a really ugly surprise if it, if, if it moves higher um, this December, which we'll talk about in a minute. But let's face it, the, uh, the earliest the Fed could pause is, I suppose, February. But but based on the rhetoric, I don't think so. I think that the um, I, 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 I get the sense the Fed is really keyed in on the mistake that it believes the central bank made in the early 70s. Which caused then a decade later Paul Volcker to have to come in and essentially double the overnight lending rate from ten points to twenty points. Remember that? I mean, you probably don't. I do. I was in about seventh grade when it happened. But uh, you know, I think that uh, the Fed is willing to to allow a lot of blood to flow before it worries about that second that second part. You know that. Uh, well, you know, we got to make sure that the U.S. government has enough uh, budget to be able to go to war with China. Right and uh, and make sure right. the retirees can, you know, afford their cat food, right? Uh, and, you know, for their meal.
0: Uh, yeah, that's still offsetting the-
1: timeframes. That that's probably more of a, a three to five year concern of theirs. But I think the next eighteen months, they they want to see, they want to see a little mini Armageddon.
0: So so, so you know, I think I think it's a foregone conclusion. There'll be recession. It's just whether or not you know how how, how deep that recession and how long that recession lasts. Um,
1: and double A, I'd argue that. Jerome, during the press conference, uh, after the last FOMC meeting in, what was that, early November or was that late October? Yeah. No, it was it was yeah.
0: early, I believe. He said
1: the chances for a soft landing were not nil, but they were no longer very good. Remember that?
0: I, I do, yeah. I, I, I noted at the time, uh, I think yeah. on Twitter, that like, that was the moment that softish turned into hardish.
1: Yeah. Why do I have a feeling that there's going to be some kind of new metric introduced to distinguish between the soft landing that's not going to happen, the horrific cascading downward spiral that um, you know puts Americans in breadlines, what's that? What's that new middle word? There's going to be some new nomenclature, right? I don't know what it'll be. The pivot light? I don't know what it's going to be, but something that where where the Fed decides that um, here's how it's going to engineer it—a moderate landing.
0: Yeah, I mean, the goal, they always find a way to move the goalposts, whether it's through, right. you know, changed methodology through, th- yep. through, through the reporting, etc. Um, and, and the idea of the pivot, I mean, the, so that's pretty funny to me is, is everybody's hoping for the pivot. But what the pivot means is that there's a recession upon us. Right. And I think the definition of the pivot
1: is changing. The pivot simply refers to the pace of upward acceleration of interest rates would begin to slow. That could happen as soon as, in fact, if it doesn't happen as soon as December, the market's going to pay, deliver a steep uh, lump of coal into every participant stocking. But uh, I think the pivot now is the beginning of not going up as fast, right? So it's pivoting off of a 0.75 stance to a 0.5 stance.
0: And then they'll start talking about a a 2.5 stance. Right, Right. and And who knows when that'll happen, right? The data
1: will drive that. I think if we have a you know, when I look at this, the market in the very near term, I think the is it Monday or Tuesday? The CPI eight thirty a.m. You know what? I've got the Market Watch um, info right here. Let's look at that. So I'm um, uh, so next week's the first week in December, right? We'll get non farm payrolls toward the mm-hmm. end of the week. That's right. We'll get ADP on Wednesday. That's right. Do we get PMI? Do we get any kind of pr- producer price stuff? We get the PCE. So we'll get core PCE. And um, and that'll be you know a little bit of a tell that you know they're expecting that to come in. It was 0.5, uh, and that'll be on Thursday, by the way. PC Corp, uh, uh, the actual last um, last time around was a 0.5% hike, and they're expecting a uh, the number to come in above up 0.3 for the month. So that's probably our first inflation tell. We'll get some uh, producer. Uh, the Chicago PMI comes in. Um, You know, the in um, uh, Wednesday and the PMI already is on the south side of 50. So the contraction is already sort of baked into that number. Mm -hmm. Friday, we have uh, the jobs report and then and tons of um, uh, Fed gum jobs right up until their blackout window, which do you do understand that blackout window? I mean, I'm just looking at the scheduled uh, Fed speaks and it looks like they S uh, S T F U. Beginning on um, Thursday, December first, they're they're out doing gum jobs through Wednesday, and then the uh, oh no, that's not true. uh, Michael Bowen speaks on Thursday, December first. It looks like that's the last one before the meeting. So, is a one week blackout? Is it the way that works?
0: I I, you know I don't know. Jokingly, I think it's enough time, just enough time for them to get their trades in order.
1: Yeah, (laughs) there's some truth to that. (laughs) No question. And for the Fed whisperer to talk to the Wall Street Journal about whatever they're going to do.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yep.
1: So-, um, so I'm sorry, uh, didn't mean to derail us. Uh, so and we'll get jobless claims um, on Thursday. So uh, and then uh, I think there's some housing stuff which we'll talk about. I'm just looking to see if we get a case shiller. Uh, I think the case shiller comes after the Fed. I don't yeah, see the- a case shiller for uh, pre-Fed. And then the Fed FOMC, I don't see it on here, but it should be Wednesday, December 7th,
0: right? No, it's actually the 12th and 13th. And okay, so we're a couple of weeks away. Yeah, and CPI is the 13th also. So, yeah, so the, okay. the, the 13th is going to just be a hell of a day with all that information.
1: Yep, no question about that. So you're right. It looks like the uh, market watch even skips a week here. Um, you know, uh, the week after Thanksgiving is uh, pretty light. Yeah. pretty light on stuff.
0: So, so, so the point I was trying to get to, in a, in a not very efficient way, is with with housing, and you brought up the market. Uh, you know, for the retirees, that's also a good point. Is that I think, and and, and forget the market, but consumers now have been trained um, that these things. Meaning, you know, contractions and downturns. These things will be dealt with expeditiously, and they expect them to be over soon. And life will be back to normal. They have no idea the mechanics behind it. They don't care. They just think this will be handled soon, and we'll be back to life as normal. And and it seems to me um, that mortgage rates come down, you know, a point, and people are now talking about the next housing boom. That seems evidence to that fact. And, the, and, and like you mentioned, and I agree, higher for longer is going to keep that from coming to fruition.
1: Exactly, because the um, people dig in, right? That's one of the things about how deflation um, kicks in. It's about waiting, right? It's, uh, they also call it disinflation. I think that's probably the more accurate term, where you have a, a spending slowdown while prices go up. Because people stay on the set. So it's a growth recession during a period of inflation. Disinflation has to do with the expectations for inflation being high. And so they, people stop spending. And so the inflation is not too much money being thrown at too few goods. It's the goods are fine there. It's people aren't buying because they expect eventually – prices to recover. And that, that kind of disinflation is what kicks the door open to deflation, which is of, of the things to worry about, that one is, that's your Great Depression lever, right? When you don't have government spending that's stimulative in nature, where they do public-private uh, partnerships with federal fund money, because you know the federal government doesn't have enough operating budget to make any difference anymore, because it's all going to debt service. But imagine a situation where you have no spending on growth, you have the federal budget getting sucked down with um, extra debt load carrying costs because our you know our debt continues to spiral out of control and our debt service itself is more expensive because of the the uh, Fed not bending to the wills of just about everybody else. Right? You can see what happens then. Nobody's going to spend money in that environment.
0: If, if so that's because- where we
1: get our hard landing. I think.
0: And it becomes a situation that feeds upon itself.
1: The disinflationary hard landing with the potential then to turn into something worse. And that and that worse is only corrected by usually a combination of stimulus and monetary policy. When you start hearing market participants worried that the Fed is pushing on a string, meaning the problem can't be solved by. Uh, rate manipulation and other financial trickery, because people aren't don't have the money to spend in the first place, right? So uh, they're they're you know the banks aren't lending and the credit risk is high and uh, the Fed can play all the games it wants to with rates, but pushing on a string just refers to applying levers that don't matter. And I think we'll start hearing that if we're going to have a super hard landing. Double A, the pushing on a string cliche is what we'll really start hearing.
0: So so what do you make of this? It, 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 re, the Black Friday numbers from just a couple days ago were what pretty were great. They? they were pretty great. Yeah. Um, people are out spending money. I mean, whether yep. it was debit or credit, who knows? I don't know. But it, it doesn't seem that inflation is, is is slowed purchasing down too much.
1: Right. And what's interesting is one Fed governor kind of gave that away as the tell for the next meeting, which is I don't see how with 10 million job openings out there, how you can begin to talk about being done with inflation with a labor market as tight as it is. And she's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that yep. is right. She's that right. right. And, and and spending continues and home prices are still high and it doesn't seem that there's been, yep. uh, you know, a, a, a very large change in, in the macro.
1: So you've kind of laid out another possible scenario here is that, um, and of course, the Fed, if the Fed plays it wrong, this scenario won't play out. If the Fed decides that, nope, you know we're not willing to change as the, the, the data changes, then this is going to be even worse. But you've just sort of described what I would refer to as the green shoot. For a new bull market, the fact is that the labor market is incredibly um, robust right now, and the Fed has thrown a lot of stuff at it. And certainly, parts of the economy are slowing down. And inflation definitely peaked in um, in January. I'm sorry, in in June. There's plenty of evidence out there. But what if the layoffs aren't that bad? The job market stays robust. People are still earning money. Housing prices come down, maybe not down to where they were when, we, when we we're doing quantitative, you know easing um, what if what if it's just a massive rotation that takes us out of overpriced social media stocks and into the rebuild of the american manufacturing base which is inflationary but it has to happen because china and the us are done so you could almost see the deglobalization reindustrialization of the united states and mexico and mexico might be the tell for this it could be that we're going to look back at this as the great rotation, rather than the Great Depression II or financial crisis II, electric boogaloo or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Can you see that where capital just moves to find now capital will be more expensive? And I think that I don't think we ever get back to two percent inflation That's unless right. we do yeah. what we did with the gold standard, what we did with um, government inflation data, or you know what we do with core and non-core bullshit. Mm-hmm. where we try where we disguise the reality with financial and nomenclature
0: chicanery. you know what it, i mean where we it, it, to, to your point about what do they do what how do they change the metrics yep. i think i think you just hit it it's that 2% becomes 4%
1: right they inflate their own um, what they're willing to live with
0: right right and, yep. and it doesn't happen tomorrow but it happens right. in the nearish term
1: that's why i think that um the the amount of pessimism porn out there the amount of uh especially retail investors panicking out of the market there's there's enough signs to me and as much as kathy wood can be a you know an overconfident idiot about especially she, she couldn't time an egg um <laughs> i think true. there's some truth to what she says at least e- even though as you're going to see the entire innovative tech sector is in horrible disrepair the fact is that we are going to need, if we're going to reindustrialize as a nation, we're going to need a lot, a lot of tech because there's not a lot of workers. And so you can see things like robotics and um, uh, uh, self-propelled vehicles, even if they don't hit the roads, we're going to need all of the things that one who's facing a demographic shortfall, and, it, and by the way, we're, we're in the best shape of, of all, uh, Europe, Japan, the industrialized uh, West and China, um, and Russia, by the way, are all facing catastrophic demographic cliffs. Yeah. The fact is that uh, it's, the world is a bunch of old people. So we so we have that pressure. We have the global conflict breaking out, and there's going to be more than just defense uh, funds to buy. And we have a massive and life-changing climate crisis that's going to affect everything, right? Uh, whether it's stilts on houses or... Um, you know, solar panels at the North pole. I I don't know what it is, but you can just feel there. And so there should be a lot of pain, a lot of volatility, a lot of uh, people making the wrong bets, like all the people going broke on Bitcoin right now, Mm -hmm. but that'll wash out. And that might wash out sooner than people think just because we are so metricized right now as a civilization. Digital revolution has taught us that we can pretty much understand things in real time. We don't have to wait three months. And so inventory orders get adjusted quickly. I, I'm just trying to paint the potential surprise upside where everyone's expecting Armageddon. Do I think things are healthy? No. Um, but I think, you know, I think there's, there's two different versions of the world, right? There's the, uh, the, the reality and the reality is that unless you have a, you know, a named institution and in your resume, you're not going to make that much money in life and things are going to be more expensive. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have the haves who, uh, go to college and get the good white collar jobs, and things will be just fine for them. So we have this bifurcated, um, less peaceful uh, world where the fight uh, for basic resources becomes more, you know, more horrible. And uh, and then you have the financial world, right? The financial engineering that can bring back the wealth effect, and that's really more of what I'm talking about. So that's just my argument, kind of my big conceptual argument, and then you can see it. As you'll see in some of the relative strength rotation, where you can see that people are positioning for something different than Facebook to come back.
0: And, and that was actually the point I was—I wanted to make—is—is is that if leaders never lead twice, right? right. So, Facebook, Amazon, Google, the, the kernels in in the last bull run, right? They won't behave the same way in whatever nope. happens in the next bull run.
1: Nope. And I think relative strength analysis on more than just the kind of uh, you know uh, one hundred and sixty day cycle that you and I spend a lot of time on as traders. but I think that that's that's going to be the roadmap to 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 where we're headed. You know, it's going to be early indicators that will give us a clue. but but I think we could also think with our brains, right? yeah it's uh, uh, the the fact is do you need uh, do you need a super uh, expensive um, research uh, service to tell you? that we're about to go through a period of deglobalization probably not
0: should be pretty right. obvious at this point
1: yeah yeah um uh, is the energy crisis in europe uh going to get fixed by next year probably not
0: probably you know not. is it, um, you know
1: ha- are we done seeing some um asshole with a bunch of uh, missiles uh waylay a lesser country whose resources or people or technology they want um uh, uh, getting uh, destroying them and making ho- horrific, inhuman decisions, probably not. Problem.
0: Right. You, you know, I'll, we'll we'll wrap up the the macro portion of this here in just a second. I just want to mention, since you mentioned energy, did you see the move in uh, in natural gas this week? It was a uh, you know five or six percent in a day, um, and and then also along those same lines with energy, have you seen the contango in WTI?
1: Uh, and WCA is, uh, West Texas crude. Is that yeah, what that
0: so, is? so, so, so crude futures. Yeah. So, yep. you know, just, yeah. Yeah. So. Contango. So yep. uh, again, encouraging storage rather than use. That's right.
1: So the, um, the spot price is the worst, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so, you know, kind of two different stories there with, with natural gas rising and, yep. and, and crude going into contango. I just found that interesting.
1: Well, I think Europe is behind that, um, You know, the beginning of the winter, all of the storage tanks got filled, but at incredibly usurious prices, right? The thing that we both learned about the energy markets is that it's the last 1% supplier that drives the spot price, right? Mm -hmm. When you're desperate, uh, you know, when you're desperate, you'll pay any price. Well, Europe did that for months, right, to fill up their tanks. Then we were done, right? We have no more capacity, So we saw a huge natural gas correction. Now, when you say the big move in oil at high volume, I saw a bunch of um, long lower shadows. Uh, But was there another move besides that? Was there I mean, I also saw oil just get crushed Uh, one in the last seven days. I've seen both. I've seen huge reversals and I've seen punishing, um, you know, closing at the low long candles which one were you referring to
0: so i was looking at ung and i I just pulled it up like i said i was i checked out you know wednesday Mm -hmm. and friday and friday actually was a bit of a reversal day so it gave a little bit of it back but i was looking at ung uh specifically
1: and what was the what was the candle for the week was it a um was it a a hammer or was it a a neutral candle what what was the net effect for the week
0: Uh it was it was actually a not a bullish candle um now that i look at it the full week it's a uh inverted hammer
1: Okay. So, but again, there was volatile, two-sided trading,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so I think that is the uh, the next, I think the next wave for energy is up after a correction. Um, and that uh, that's, we move from we're out of capacity to, okay, winter is here. We're starting to burn th- through our reserves. We need to replace them. Remember what we said, the last 1% supplier, especially in the gas market then, right? Uh, this According to the the leaks from Sweden, it's official. Putin is the one who blew up the pipes. They've done the forensic analysis and the whisper. Oh, you know, they, they, yeah, they don't dare talk about it right now because um, it has to do with the the minute it's disclosed and accepted by the European Union that um, uh, that Putin did it. It makes Russia a state-sponsored terrorism. Although, did I hear over the weekend that the EU just did they just make that announcement?
0: I hadn't heard that.
1: They might have. Well, and let me put it this way: the reason that that this is all I'm getting from a guy on YouTube, who I think is fantastic, he goes under a, a pseudonym, and I've tried to I've tried to investigate where he comes from. He's um, uh, definitely a Brit, and I don't know. So the answer is I don't know. But his channel is called Joe Blogs, and he does these five minute uh, kind of. Um, TED Talks about different aspects of the economy. And clearly, he's he must be involved either directly in energy trading or he's a retired energy trader. And he's probably a guy in his mid-50s. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would say. And uh, uh, this is all according to him. The Swedes have been holding the forensic proof beyond none. You know, the explosion happened from inside the pipe out. Only the Russians have access to the in- inside of their pipe. Apparently, they found, vehicle, you know, apparently there's um, intelligence tracking that has Russian ships right at the spot where the explosion take place. Allegedly they're dead to rights, but the problem with accusing them, the minute they do, they get escalated to state sponsor of terrorism, which according to a lot of constitutions in Europe, we can't buy anything from the Russians. Well, what little gas that that still comes into the EU is um, either coming from um, the Nordic countries, or from Russia, <laughs> so they they've been reticent to name Russia because of the implication. What the, the, yep. that triggers an all stop trade with Putin.
0: So I had not heard that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yep. No, that so Joe Bloggs is,
1: is a guy I definitely recommend subscribing to. This isn't my pearls of wisdom. Okay. Um, and again, you know, I don't know if this guy's full of shit or not. But it seemed very it it seemed very credible to me. And that that series of events last week created all sorts of ripples in the energy market because, let's face it, liquefying natural gas when the last one percent determines the spot price of natural gas makes for horrific uh, charges. And the Europeans can't afford year two of that. And I don't see how they get around it, double A.
0: And they can't build any other any other infrastructure quick enough.
1: Well, they they can build LNG, um, and that's what they're going to have to do, right? Yeah. So so it's LNG store capacity, which is the problem is the deliquefying capacity. There is only so much um, that can be done. There's a new facility being built, I think, in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to solve that. But LNG is – oh, the other thing is, by the way, when you liquefy natural gas, you have to pretend as if that doesn't add to your – Carbon footprint as a nation. So what you do is blame it on the uh, the the exporter that's supplying you with the uh, you know with the natural gas, and so that carbon emission, which is you know it's a it's a one to one or two to one energy expenditure to roll up uh, uh, pipe natural gas into liquid and, and ship it over to the country, um, the the import country. So Europe doesn't want to talk about that because uh, and so they blame it on the U.S. that that gets charged to the U.S. capital. Um, caps whatever you want to call them
0: got it yeah the, the so cards of these ability. games
1: being played but the right. bottom line is uh there's the energy storage tanks can get filled again uh, but there's going to be at spot users prices right because you're telling me we're not in backwardation right which is typical where the 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 price of um natural gas three months from now is higher than the spot price. Typically, that's the way it works, right? Yeah.
0: Well, i I would. So, crude is in contango. Um, right. I'm not quite sure. But if that natural gas it. is in backwardation, which would be spot yeah.
1: and, uh, more expensive than yeah. than down the line, and that's because Europe doesn't it didn't have any capacity, but also didn't have enough to store to get them through the winter. Right. So they're back out on the spot market, and the colder it gets, the worse that's that uh, backwardation is going to be. Right. Interesting. Yep. So. Well the so we energy should... market is just one of the many volatile uh, places, but again that all speaks to with and so here's the other thing that that affects is Germany they depend on natural gas for their industrial output. they've had to shut their factories down for the winter
0: mm-hmm.
1: It's either freeze or build things
0: and, and chosen
1: and, not to freeze
0: and they're the machine that powers the EU.
1: Yeah. So with that comes opportunity for others that need to fill in places. So again, I, that there's a reason I think Mexico is exploding yeah. right now. And I think we've nailed it, but I also think that that's an opportunity for the United States to re Now they can't reindustrialize the low end cheap labor stuff. It doesn't make sense, but for factories need automation, that's what the United States is going to do. Right. And that's what makes the coming war with China over semiconductors, so important. <laughs> it it all ties together, doesn't
0: it? Right, yep, it, yeah. it all does, it all yep. does.
1: And there's, uh, you know, so, Peter Zihan is a great uh, author and he also does daily updates, five to seven minutes in length about sort of these global macro trends. Another, um, okay. another guy, if you haven't picked up his book, The End of the World is Just the Beginning, I'd recommend it. And then watch his channel for little updates. Uh, every day there's a fascinating new nugget about how the global unwind is creating new opportunities and capital shifts around the world.
0: Thanks for that. I will. I, you know, his book is on my shelf and I haven't got to it yet because I have some other things I'm, I'm reading, but i um, sure. looking forward to that one.
1: It's a really good one. And for those who haven't made the purchase decision yet, I'd actually recommend the audio book because he's a very engaging uh, speaker.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, we can um, wrap up the macro monkeys portion of our, uh, our trifecta here today, just, just to put a, put a bow on it. Um, Basically, we're waiting for the second week in December to get some CPI uh, data, the FOMC minutes, and uh, and see what the uh, see, see what result those that information brings. And and it also, uh, I guess the find find point on uh, find uh, to put a bow on the point I was trying to make is that you know consumers maybe think that um, this is going to resolve itself and end quicker than it will. Higher for longer hasn't really. Um, found its way into consumer vocabulary yet.
1: I agree. And the rubber's going to meet the road here in December. And I get the feeling the Fed is desperate to try to reeducate the market because a binary event is coming one way or the other. It'll all depend on that CPI data. I think that triggers it. Yeah, Now we're speaking more in shorter, you know, our trading time frame.
0: Yeah, yeah. I will say real quick, and then I'm very ex- excited to uh, see what you've done with the um, uh, cheat sheets this week. But by the way, there was a great opinion piece on Bloomberg th- earlier this week about how the Fed's decision to engage in QE has turned out to be a colossal mistake. If if, if any interest in that, I'd go I'd go find it and read it. It was uh, this week on Bloomberg. It was an opinion piece.
1: And I'm assuming what they mean by that is going back to the financial crisis.
0: Correct, and and that the QE experiment has created more problems than it, uh, than it solved.
1: That's right. Because we're now a boom and bust world, right? Yep.
0: Yep.
1: yep, If you don't catch the, the, you know, the trend um, you're SOL because the crash is coming. Right. And it seems like there's an equal and offsetting crash for every move higher that we are just a parabolic, um, you know, helplessly swinging from, I, I mean, I guess the trajectory is still up. Uh,
0: until it isn't right until it isn't. Yeah. And it's all dependent on a, a group of, uh, on elected, uh, academics for the most part, it seems.
1: Yep. Wish
0: all right. I, well, I we'll I say anything.
1: goodbye and happy trading, everybody. Double a good talking with you. And we'll see you again next week.
0: Yep. Thanks. Great conversation, Mike. We'll talk to you next week.